You determine okay. how much masturbating you do. You're ready to be premature wow, all impressive. over again. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Quick, quick, quick reset. Yeah. Quick reset. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Like in gen balls. It's just going to be a vicious cycle. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn, you're killing me. The joke's wow. on you. It's actually addictive. There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. The fuck you get better. Well, I don't know what's worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? Hey, let's go ahead and unwrap <laughs> this present so, uh, and let the I... debate begin. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of A Spirit of Debate. We got a good one for you today, so stick around. We're going to jump into that in just a second. But as always, let's start with how is everybody doing today? Good. Good. Very good. Uh, yeah. I swear, your energy... Week in and week out, it's astonishing. I, I don't know how do I don't know how we do it, but uh, Grinch, glad you didn't blow your load too early this time. Gonna need you for yep. the full run. Hey, I got this one's a good serious one. topic. I gotta pace myself. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Like you're drinking. Yes, which you didn't do last night. Pace yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, we what did we do? We last played. Night? We played. Last <laughs> yeah, we definitely have an interesting episode. Obviously, we're gonna jump into our drinks, but before we get started. Season two, we talked about having guests on the show. We have our first guest of season two. Excited to have them here. Uh, Grinch, I know you have a connection with the guest today, so I'm going to let you introduce our guest before we jump into the drinks. So let's go ahead and get started. Yes, I'd like to introduce my hetero life mate. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jason and I, uh, I think, have known each other over 20 years now. Uh, we started out as lieutenants together in the Army and went to the 82nd and then... Uh, you know, touching on the topic we're going to get to, September 11th happened. That led uh, to a whole series of events that brought us into Afghanistan, which I know we'll probably get into um, in terms of the why were we there. But uh, yeah, uh, since then, um, definitely Jason has stayed very connected to, uh, to Afghanistan um, and is certainly hyper connected right now, given current, current events. Um, and and yeah, Jason, I'll turn it over to you in terms of kind of highlighting your experience over there and, and connectivity to the issue. Jason, is it painful knowing a ginger for 20 years? Oh, God, yes. Yeah, you don't want to admit that to anybody, do you? I get it. <laughs> but he's got to get there. I tolerate and, almost, and to keep I'm, your soul that long. That's right. I've almost got his soul. <laughs> well, you, well, you notice how we all start looking older and he just looks the same age, right? <laughs> sucking their soul. He's rubbing carrots on his head. That's how he oh, keeps Hey, that. he got to see the beautiful locks in person today. Nice. It's uh, blowing. It is. Yeah. That's it. I, I didn't mean to interrupt, Jason. I apologize. Go ahead. That's okay. Uh, so, so I went to Afghanistan in 2002 uh, with the 82nd Airborne Division. And then I ended up staying there when they came home. And I worked at the embassy uh, with a guy named Carl Eikenberry. He was a two-star general. And our job was to build the Afghan army and help them build their national security system so that America could leave. I mean, that was the overarching mission. That was the first real mission I had in Afghanistan. And I met, uh, you know, I had weekly meetings with President Ghani, who stepped down today. I, I grew up with Amrullah Saleh, the vice president, who's uh, probably going to continue fighting on in some other capacity today. Uh, Abdullah. Abdullah was the foreign minister and he's taken over the transitional government uh, leading that effort today. So uh, I kind of grew up around all the folks that are, were, are in power at this moment and heading out of power. 
Uh, and so my career kept bringing me back into it. Ikenberry went back as the ambassador, as a civilian. I went back with General McChrystal and we refigured how we do it for the Obama administration. Uh, and then I was involved in it uh, during the, uh, the Trump and then during the transition to Biden, to Biden uh, worked on it as well. And uh, I've stayed in touch with all the Afghan people I've worked with over the years. You know, I mean, I, I literally have most of Kabul on my WhatsApp right now. And, and I'm just, uh, their messages are just pouring in and out of my phone all morning and all night. Uh, so it's it's been a pretty emotional ending to 19 years of uh, friendships uh, going on over there. Wow. Holy shit. Um, I guess with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, you now know our topic for the day. We're actually going to be discussing Taylor Swift's best albums, and hopefully his resume will be beneficial to that topic. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and talk about our drinks. Jason, you're the guest on the show, first guest of season two. I'm going to start with you. What are you drinking today? My favorite uh, scotch, Monkey Shoulder. Oh. Inexpensive, tastes real good. Uh, good space side mix of uh, stuff. You can always uh, get it. So that's my go-to uh, go scotch when I don't have a lot of money. And you are drinking it neat for anyone that can't see. It's just scotch in a glass. Easy peasy. Scotch in a glass, uh, an old uh, JSOC glass. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, Grinch, since you were kind enough to bring our guest to the table, what did you make for a drink today? The tear, don't, you muted yourself again. That's twice. Third time and we're booting you and Jason's I, I went, taking over. I went mute, so I wouldn't interrupt. Uh, yeah. So this is the- uh, 20 years of tears. That's what it is. Hawaiian gold rush. Uh, I couldn't remember if anybody had done a gold rush. This is a Hawaiian spin on it, which- you know, it's bourbon, honey syrup, lemon juice, fresh pineapple juice. Um, and it, it calls for two dashes of grapefruit bitters, which I didn't have. But but yeah, it's good. Easy drink. Nice. Uh, so you didn't go with the Trinidad sour. No, I, you know, I'm, I thought about it. But man, I mean, an ounce of bitters. Uh, what kind of bitters? Ross, what kind of bitters? <laughs> Agnostra, for those of you that are <laughs> not you. literate in the English language. <laughs> Thank you, Agnostra bitters. Yeah, I was. I thought that's what you'd come to the table with. So obviously surprised that you. Made I thought a about it, man. I okay. just, I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm intimidated. Can't do it. I'm intimidated by an ounce of bitters. Understood. Haas, what about you, brother? What did you bring to the table today? So we're uh, we're continuing to uh, to barrel down on the gin train, uh, and I don't think anyone has tried this yet. I'm doing a gimlet. Uh, some, some Hendrix gin, some lime juice and some simple syrup. Easy peasy. There you have it. Yeah. I got something that I don't know that you may not be able to get. My dad just got it. I tried it this morning while I was there. It is a non-alcoholic gin, uh, substitute. I can't remember. I'll have him send a picture. I'll forward it on to you. Okay. And cause he loves gin and tonics, loves the flavor, but obviously doesn't need the buzz of the alcohol. It's like a, it's a natural botanical version of gin solar made alcohol. yeah 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 absolutely <clears throat> and so I'll, I'll have to get the name of it but uh interesting flavor by itself he hadn't tried it by itself super interesting flavor i'm not not sure i could handle that it definitely has to be mixed with something but like if you were going to do something non-alcoholic related it might be a good substitute for you there's no i risk know of why that. right there's why no risk that? of that no <laughs> um nice so you're unless my doctor me. tells me i have to and even then there's a 50 50 shot and then i'll punch him in the face that's right <laughs> like you said what? while drinking while drinking alcohol you wanna... <laughs> yeah this is not bad slides ten dollars across the table that's right. what did you say <laughs> exactly uh all right I can afford so yeah. i will go oh sorry i was just gonna say i've never had one before this is uh i would say gimlet's it's pretty good 
Yeah, it's not bad. Has, has Jen become your new crown royal? I Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really liking it right now, for sure. I so. mean, because if you don't need a fan, you've always got Jen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't need air conditioning when you've got gin. No, I, I think we need both. Okay, yeah. as a balance. All right, so we'll move on to me. I, I did a gin and tonic last week, and I thought I would do something similar this week. I bought a new bottle of Terramana tequila, the Reposado. And so I am trying a tequila and tonic, which is obviously just a gin and tonic, but with tequila. So super refreshing, super clean, easy to drink. It's actually quite tasty. And I think this is definitely something that I would put in the rotation on a regular basis. So that's what I'm doing, tequila and tonic. And then finally, Mac, you are not supposed to be here today. Thank you for gracing us with your presence and your voice. It's like butter. What are you drinking? Go ahead and close us out. What are you drinking? All right. So first of all, all of T-Swizzle's albums are fantastic. You can't pick just one. Okay. So to answer your question there. Um, There's no debate. We'll move on. Exactly. So yeah, no, as you mentioned, I, I had not planned on being here. Um, when I saw the text going back and forth and I saw, you know, Grinch's passion uh, for this topic and um, knowing that we're going to have a, you know, hopefully a fantastic guest on in Jason. Um, I'm going to learn a lot of stuff from him, I think today, because as we mentioned, I bring the ignorant American perspective perspective to this. So I was really looking forward to this. Unfortunately, having not planned and being out of town right now as three fifths of us uh, know you can't buy liquor on Sunday. So Fucking in North, North Carolina. Carolina. So I had to kind of punt and decided to just go with a local beer. So I went with a Wilmy, uh, Wilmy Wood Wilt, which is a Belgian wheat. Um, brewed it was a tongue twister. In, right. I know, right? <laughs> uh, brewed here in uh, Wrightsville Beach. Um, so that, that's what I'm drinking today. Honestly, when you see it, it says, will my wood. And I just assumed it's like, if you drink it, you're just willing the wood to do something. That's, right. That's but you corrected. Well, me. I can show you later um, <laughs> you know, on a side Zoom call. I'm sure gotcha. not everybody gotcha. wants that. Let me open that window real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need a couple windows. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. So obviously been around the room uh, again, Jason, thank you for joining us, taking the time out of your day to educate us lowly moronic Americans on this topic. Super excited. Looking forward to it. Obviously to you gentlemen, I say cheers. Hope for a good show. Cheers gentlemen. Cheers. And let's jump in. Roast. All right, Grinch. So as Max said, you brought this, this topic to the table kind of last minute. You and I had a discussion, a quite in-depth discussion. And so I'm going to let you kind of start us off where we're going the direction that we want to go for this. Obviously you brought Jason to the table who obviously has a shit ton of background with Afghanistan, the Middle East, this particular situation. So we're going to start there. The topic is obviously the, I won't call it the fall. I guess you could call it the fall of Afghanistan, Jason, correct me. At this point, from our perspective, it is the fall of that country into the hands of not the Afghanistan. Um, the fall of the Republic into the hands of a uh, extremist group. Yeah. yeah. It's like a modern day Star Wars right here on earth in Afghanistan. It's the fall of the Republic. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. There is going to be a lot to unpack here. So please stay with us, stay engaged. Uh, again, if you are the average American, you're probably not tied to this a great deal. There's going to be a learning curve for some of this that maybe weren't even aware we were still in Afghanistan. Definitely interested to see what happens. But Grinch, I'm going to let you jump us off where we're at, what questions sure. we're asking, and then let's just dive into it and see what happens. 
Yeah, and uh, uh, I'll just say for the benefit of those that don't know, um, we went into Afghanistan following September, uh, you know, September 11th, 2001. And at the time, that was our first, that was the first deployment. Iraq had not started yet. We went into Afghanistan with CIA and special forces, uh, linked up with the Northern Alliance. Uh, Al-Qaeda had assassinated Massoud at that point. And Jason, certainly correct me on anything I get wrong, but steamrolled the, the Taliban out of Afghanistan for all, well, I shouldn't say out, but out of power. And for those that don't know, we've been there ever since. In some form or fashion, the troop levels have gone up, gone down, the number of nations participating, what role, whether we were in lead or follow, doesn't necessarily matter. The point is we've been there since. And uh, I think, was it Tuesday, Jason, that President Biden made the announcement? Am I getting that date right? I know it was just recently that we were withdrawing. Uh, yeah, it's been in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, out yesterday, he put out a statement to, to the effect of that. We're washing our hands. It's on you. And then uh, if you do have news feeds, what you probably started to see was just this one after another of this city has fallen, this city has fallen. And then we learned today uh, that, you know, the president was being was being evacuated, uh, if that's the right term. Um, and the Taliban, who initially were going to hold outside of Kabul to negotiate, went ahead and pressed in based on an, assessing that there was a vacuum of leadership there slash taking control. So, uh, you know, the the you could say, uh, as, as was in a, one of the statements from the president, you know, we've been there for two decades-ish, spent over a trillion dollars, and, you know, untold number, well, there's, there is probably a number that's out there for a number of injuries or casualties, and certainly the Afghan people have paid a, a heavy price in this process, and that all evaporated within a matter of days, and that's where we are today. And it begs the question of, well, so what does this mean? Where do we go from here? Is this our modern day Vietnam, you know, is kind of the, the setup for the topic. Uh, so Jason, I would ask with what he just said, your connection to Afghanistan and the Middle East, how do you view this particular situation? Because obviously you do have a connection that the average American doesn't have. You're aware of things on a level the average American is not aware of. So when you are hearing the news, you're, you're, you're seeing these messages come across your phone. What's going through your head in terms of what you said at the beginning when we introduced you, what you've done since you've been there, who you've worked with, uh, the discussions that you've had, the game plans that you guys have tried to put in place to make Af the Afghanistan country a viable option or uh, entity unto itself. What are you thinking when this is occurring? Yeah, there was a, a book that came out uh, not too long ago, and, and it's a, a, from a statement that a lot of people have made over the years. In Afghanistan, we fought the wrong enemy. And that was the real problem. And that is what's led us here today. All of this has been orchestrated by Pakistan, who is the neighbor of Afghanistan, who hates Afghanistan and uses Afghanistan and, and their paranoia against India as a, as a back door, you know, a back lot. You know, I can get away from my neighbors in the strategic depth of the country next door because they're poor and they don't have a big army and we can use them whenever we need to. Uh, um, so that's what the real problem has been. We, we had our sights on the wrong thing the whole time. And Pakistan spent 20 years figuring out how to take over the country the second we left, 
So as soon as Biden announced we were leaving and talked NATO into leaving, they just set their plan in motion. And it has been, it is almost the same plan they used in the 1990s when they first put the Taliban on the ground and uh, ran them in through Afghanistan to take over the country. So uh, we had our eye on the wrong thing and nobody would, would dare to look at what we really should be doing. And we just kind of got lost in every other job you can think of in South Asia, um, except for dealing with Pakistan. And they knew it. Pakistan knew they had the entire world over barrel and just waited for us to leave. I mean, they, they told us that when I got there in the beginning, don't build a big army. It's a waste of money. We'll wait for you to leave. You'll leave. We did. Because you will get tired so, of spending money and resources in this environment, in this region. And ultimately you'll pack your bags and go. And then we'll, like you said, we'll occupy the vacuum that exists when you're gone. That's, that was pretty much Pakistan's plan for 20 years and they did it. And the Afghans feel completely betrayed because we spent 20 years stomping around in Afghanistan, you know, accidentally killing civilians while we were chasing the Taliban and other terrorists and never lifted a finger to make Pakistan change their foreign policy view and stop fueling the Taliban. So Pakistan got away with it. China's their big buddy. So China's laughing right now. Russia is on that side. Told us at the beginning, we're going to make this miserable for you. We're just going to make you want to quit. So Iran, Russia, China, Pakistan, all celebrating today. You literally go on social media. Those nations are celebrating the end of our superpower. They have depths of, of evil and they unleashed it. Uh, Mac, I apologize. I know I spoke over you. What were you going to say? No, no, I was just going to ask. So why do you think we did not focus on Pakistan and, and focus on the Taliban instead? I mean, I feel like over 20, the, the course of 20 years, somebody, you know, should have said, wait a minute, maybe we are fighting the wrong enemy. I mean, well, based on what Jason said, when they first got there, obviously that was said at some point, right? right? That, so uh, again, we I understand uh, the point. You know, I've, I've asked that question because I've known that answer was the answer in 2002. I've asked that, to, you know, I've been involved in the policy making piece of four different administrations now. And I've, I've brought up the question every time. And it's the question Afghans ask every time. Oh, you got a new policy? Does it involve stopping Pakistan from protecting Al Qaeda, protecting Haqqani, protecting ISIS, protecting the Taliban? Literally, they have towns that they've set aside to keep the Taliban safe. They have training centers there. That's where they buy the, you know, the ammonium nitrate to make the IEDs. That's where they get all their weapons. Like, are you going to do anything about that? And our State Department, our intelligence community just said, we don't want to go there. It's a nuclear armed country. And we've got kind of a friendship with them, even though they're a friend of me. And we don't want to go there. And in the end, the Afghans were right in their assessment that we cared more about Pakistan than we did Afghans. Um, so 20 million women just got locked in their houses today. And, and Af Afghanistan, the, I know that Grinch, the thing you sent out about Biden, like training their military and things like that, arming them to prepare them. I'm sure, Jason, probably part of your plan over the last 20 years in terms of working with Afghanistan and the different administrations was trying to formulate a plan on how to turn over control to the Afghans themselves. Were they never in a position to confront Pakistan? I mean, as I'm assuming, I don't know enough about Pakistan, but they could never do it themselves. Because we spent how much money and we and how much technology, you know, state-of-the-art technologies over there? How many troops did the Afghan army have? 
They got up to about 300,000 in the end between army and police, but all designed to keep security inside Afghanistan, never designed to fight against Pakistan. So uh, it, it wasn't, and they, I mean, they're a small size of Texas with 35, 36 million people. Pakistan's coming up on 200 million people and they've got two mega cities, you know, over 10 million uh, each. So Afghanistan, you know, they don't want to have a war with Pakistan, so they, they don't like each other. Yeah. So that, that was my question, even with the training and the technology, they could never stand up against Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Uh, Grinch, you made the comparison right out of the gate. Is this our modern day Vietnam? Go ahead. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Jason, and I spoke about this earlier and, you know, I mentioned this last night, um, you know, it, there was a great book called a better war that looked back on Vietnam and it discussed how between policy, you know, a strategic plan, having the right people in place and then resourcing and support like Vietnam never had all those in alignment. Uh, Unfortunately for the United States, that seems like a recurring theme because, you know, it's not that it's not that we didn't put some of our best and brightest minds, you know, against the, the Afghanistan problem. Um, I mean, general Miller, who's been there, what, almost three years, I think. Almost three years. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's literally lived in another country for three years um and he used to command jsoc like he he is he is a sharp sharp dude um by the way he was also on the ground in mogadishu during black hawk down to give you a sense of how long he has been in the business and it just didn't it it just never took hold and i i think what i heard jason say is like it was a it was a plan implemented with in earnest it with good faith in the sense of like all the people trying to implement it. But what I think I heard is it was always doomed to failure because it was the wrong plan. And it begs the question of how could we not have seen that? And, you know, we talked about the frenemies, which we've got more than one Turkey comes to mind of somebody who's supposedly an ally, you know, who's, who fucked us (laughs) numerous times, but yeah, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get, you know, I don't get what we're waiting for of when this is supposed to pay dividends as opposed, as opposed to just avoiding saying the tough things and being a superpower. Right. But well, in, in that kind of what Biden was getting at is we've been at this for 20 years, these four administrations, you know, he didn't want it to be a fifth. He wasn't going to hand us over to a fifth administration. I mean, we're done. The, the experiment's over. We tried. It didn't work out. I mean, in yeah, that essentially- that's what it, that's what he said. And when he was given the offer to do the right thing and, and sanction Pakistan and change their foreign policy, he said, I don't want to do it either. <laughs> Basically, I, I'm going to go with I don't like I'm going to complain about what the other presidents did, but I'm going to do the same thing they did. And I'm going to leave. Why is everybody so, afraid of Pakistan? Is it the China-Russia connection? It's a frenemy and they have, pac- they have nuclear weapons and they will threaten us constantly that Hey, if something happens to us, a bunch of terrorists are going to get these nuclear weapons. We, we don't want to lose control of them. We're more worried about losing track of some weapons that probably don't even work at this point. You know, they've been <laughs> they built them so long ago that we won't confront them. I mean, they hid bin Laden. They kept him alive in their country. They housed the Taliban leadership. They housed. There's probably 30 terrorist groups along that border and they train all the young boys in that country to join one of those terrorist groups that they can. They have schools where they just brainwash them by the thousands of schools where they just create this cannon fodder to join terrorist organizations. 
yeah, so well, that they can terrorize South Asia. What are and, the names of the schools that are, are super fundamentalist? They, is, I don't know. Madrasa? Which, uh, is it, it's is a madrasa, madrasa is the term for a school, but it's a religious school. Yeah. Uh, theirs are just ramped up and amped up, and they have been for decades. So the world doesn't want to get involved in trying to unscrew Pakistan. And when, when uh, Ambassador Eikenberry was picked in 2009 by Obama to go over there, you know, this was my old boss. I just sent him a note and I said, we'll never fix Afghanistan if we don't fix Pakistan first. So good luck as the ambassador. And, and I was there a few months later <laughs> uh, by, by name. Hey, you're coming to Afghanistan. But like, how'd I get no one wanted shit? to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, Grinch, because you made the correlation to Vietnam. And I, I want to ask Jason, from your perspective in just a second, if you agree with that assessment. But when you talk about Vietnam, I think that conjures up a very specific picture. I know that's pre our generation in terms of it occurring. That's our parents' generation. But uh, my grandfather was an engineer in the Marine Corps, and he was actually commissioned by the uh, MACV, which was the Military Assistance Command Vietnam in 62 to go to Vietnam. Uh, because he was in, he dealt with logistics and, you know, bridges and all of those things. And so it was like, we want you to go. And for 50 months, he was in Vietnam and wrote a memo after touring all of Northern South Vietnam, airfields, uh, roads, things like the infrastructure, like, could we put our military in country and be successful? And after 15 months in country, he wrote a memo saying, if we get in a war in Vietnam, we're going to lose, we're going to be there 10 years and ultimately we'll accomplish nothing. Ultimately, in 65, we went to war. We were there 10 years and we accomplished nothing. Feels like Cassandra, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know? so, uh, you know, obviously my connection to that situation, because my grandfather was there with his connection saying, is this our modern day Vietnam and your connection and approach to Afghanistan? Do you agree with his assessment? Because I think like when you say Vietnam, people immediately go, I get it. We were there for 10 years, 50,000 plus soldiers died. And we go, and for what? We were never going to win that war. It was a war of attrition. We could never win because it was fought in an entirely different way. Do you agree that that, sorry, what? No, I was just going to say, if I can unpack that a little bit, that's that you're, you're touching on what I'm getting at. It isn't the, I mean, the failure is the failure in the right. sense that we know the outcome. And now we can, now we have that to assess these statements against. It was a lack of understanding of what really mattered on the ground, you know, is probably a key truth there. Right. Um, it was a, you know, superpower basically using another force. Um, now, at the time, we believed we were stemming communism. You know, that was the, the base. That was the we always seem to have one big theme, right? Global keeps communism. Us in a place, right. right? Yep. Um, and then and then it was a whole series of mistakes in terms of policy where we started limiting our forces. And, you know, and it's not that our forces didn't fight well. I mean, I'll use the Tet Offensive. I mean, if you look at the statistics of what happened in the Tet Offensive, by all accounts, we kicked their ass. But it was a huge IO information operation, if you will, loss. And granted, our mainstream media wasn't doing us any favors at that time. And maybe that's another thing that still applies. But um, that's what ultimately led to us is we lost. It was like we lost sight of what mattered. And we lost touch with what was really happening on the ground. And I, 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 Jason, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. I mean, I think from Jump Street, that was the case in Afghanistan, as you said. And then I would ask, we, we seem hell-bent on trying to establish democracies that look like us, even with cultures that probably aren't, that it's isn't the right answer work. for them. Right. And I have to wonder, I mean, we, 
as you know, we relegated all the warlords to the, marginalize them as quickly as we could because they weren't in our, our view what a democracy would look like. Although they'd been there their whole lives, knew everyone, knew the connections and how that part of the world worked, and we got rid of all of them. I just wonder it, if we'd empowered a different way and created our own force, could it have been different? And you mean use a, the a, warlords to your advantage as opposed to subjugating them? More that model. I know it's a very simple statement yeah. and there's all kinds of problems with it, but that's what I wonder. Gotcha. So Jason, do you think that this would be considered our modern day Vietnam in terms of 20 years worth of men, resources? I say men, I apologize, men and women, resources, money spent and ultimately for what? Yeah, I, I take a much longer view of, of war than most people do. I look at war in, in a 50 or 100 year uh, mechanism. I, I don't think it makes sense to look at it in, in uh, at right when a war ends, this is what happened. If you go to Vietnam right now, who do they have a defense contract with? Who do they do a ton of trade with? Are they communists or actually they're pretty much capitalist? Is religion now free, even though it was banned? Yeah. Vietnam is actually a cultural victory for the West. They are actually afraid of China now. They're old, you know, they are, they're leaning towards the West and pushing towards the West. So I always look at wars, you know, give me 75 years later. I, World War II, definitely a win, you know. Germany, still, still free democracy. Italy, not fascist. Uh, you know, Japan, one of our best allies in the world. So I think you have to look at it. We won't know the truth about Afghanistan or Iraq uh, or Somalia, or we won't know until 75 years because that societal impact that Americans had in Vietnam actually kind of put a bug in the system. And long after we left, that those cultural bugs just rattled around for decades and it shifted the whole culture and society away from where they were going. You know, they were taken over by communists and then rejected themselves. So uh, I don't know what's going to happen in Afghanistan, but I just I think uh, it's an easier way to look at a war. It's not worth trying to figure out what we want or lose at the moment. It's what those people do in the next 50 years that really matters, because we don't know if we left our if we took the troops out of South Korea tomorrow. Would North Korea invade and take over the South? Possibly. Would we then go, ah, that was our Vietnam. It doesn't really make sense. We stayed right. there for 70 years. We kept it a democracy. If we walked out tomorrow and it folded and they couldn't keep the North out, you know, probably the North would become democratic real quick when they got to the South and were like, look at all this food. Right. This is awesome. So Fuck I look at it differently. I, I just don't like to put the labels on what we're doing at this moment in time because it doesn't do any good, really. It, only our grandkids and great grandkids will be able to say this happened here and this is the real result the generational shift of what happened in that country. Then, then by that sentiment, Jason, how do you, someone who's been tied to this for the better part of two decades and deeply tied to this, how do you feel then? I mean, do you feel as though progress has been made on, in that kind of same breath of what you're talking about, do, do you feel as though 15, 20 years from now, you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, damn, yeah, things really, we really, we planted a bug and we really forced a shift. I mean, Ultimately, how do you feel about it versus emotionally, I guess, more than, than yeah. intellectually? This morning, I, I mean, I the, uh, the, the president kind of handed off the reins and they announced they were going to transition to a, uh, a, a transitional government. 
of Afghan elders, you know, and that was, that's what it was on my phone this morning when I woke up real early. I knew it was coming, but, you know, I just felt betrayed. I felt as if America and NATO had betrayed Afghanistan. We told them when I got there in 02, Afghans did not trust us because we had abandoned them in the 1990s. Lock, stock and barrel left them to deal with the, the fallout of our messing around to, to shoot the Soviets. Right. So they didn't they were very like shy. We they said, you're going to have to earn our trust. And I, I mean, I, it took me 19 years to earn the trust of Afghans, really. I mean, I, the stuff I was hearing from Afghans at the end here, they were just like, thank you for being a good friend to Afghanistan. They were few, few of you. You know, it was hard to build trust and it took me 19 years of constant communication. So uh, I just personally, you know, emotionally felt betrayed this morning that we just said, hey, we, we told you you could trust us, but we were lying. You know, we, we were gonna leave you and Pakistan with the upper hand. So good luck with that. Because that's what the, the final message was from this administration. We're out of here. Good luck. Do with you that. think? Do you think another year, another two, another three or four or five would make a difference? We were making a difference with 2,500 people on the ground for years, and we weren't getting casualties. We weren't spending as much money. I think we could have stayed there. If you look at Colombia and South America, the great example, we could have stayed there with the right footprint and kept Pakistan from getting engaged because they don't want to be at war with us either uh, for decades, you know, just like we have done in Korea. We could have been that, that little bit and meant with 10% of the troops that are in Korea. I mean, that's a pretty good cost saving. So most Americans didn't even know we were still in Afghanistan. I think we could have had a, a very small subset of the right people and kept the Taliban off balance until they got tired of fighting and at least had a, a better negotiation. But by just saying the hell with it, we're out of here. We did just, it was the ninth inning. We had a few runs up on the enemy and we just said, you know what? We're going to take the team and leave the stadium. So what do you think that is? You win. <laughs> Why? Mm -hmm. What do you think that it is? I think a lot of this is political promises. There's no appetite in America for soldiers to be deployed anywhere. Although we're in 120 countries right now, most people just don't know about it. Um, yeah. But there's no appetite for us to be in a place. Uh, I kind of told the Afghans a long time ago, you're not going to be South Korea. Like no one wants to do that again. That was 70 years ago. And most Americans don't know we have troops there. Um, but it, no one had the stomach to do it again. And so you had the Trump uh, hardcore party, part of his party wanted isolationism. Uh, you had the, the whole, almost the whole Democratic Party moving towards isolationism and so this was kind of a perfect storm to have two back-to-back -back administrations that said, I don't give a shit. My people want me home. I'm sorry. Are you guys cuss on this channel? We get that E on not, our podcast not, pretty quick. Right out of the gate. <laughs> not friendly, a family friendly uh, no. programming here. It depends on uh, your family. Just perfect yeah, storm. Yeah. Two political parties back-to-back -back that, that didn't want to be at war anymore. And so it was a safe bet for yeah. Trump or Biden could have said it. That's it. I'm out of here. It's going to hurt him for a while. He might not get reelected if he's alive to run for election again. But, you know, in the end, he, he's going to it's not going to stick to him. Uh, I'm going to play the ignorant ass American just for a second here, Jason, and, and put you on the spot. Why, if I'm that person, why should we be the global police? I don't want our troops there. And what's the benefit of me leaving 2,500, 2,000, 3,000 troops? 
because if anything happens and then suddenly it's like, well, let's put five, let's put 10, you know what I'm saying? So if I'm that person going, why should we expend any resources? And I know what you're saying is you could have done it with a minimal force. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I've, I have gone back and forth on that question throughout my life, you know, this global policeman thing, but if you want to be a superpower, you have to play in the world. I, I use the analogy when I talk to college students, I say, look, the world is a neighborhood. At one end of your street, you can have a crack house and across from it, you can have a meth house. But eventually, if you don't do something about that crack house and that meth house, they're going to keep moving down the street. Then your, your windows are going to get shot out. And eventually, when that neighborhood catches on fire, you're all going to burn. Because when you see something that's wrong, you have to stand up to it. When you see a bully on a playground, what do they teach our generation? You go knock the bully out so that the innocent kids are okay. And if as a country, you don't want to go beat up the bully or at least stand and tell the bully you're a bully. And if you go any farther, I'm going to kick you in the fucking head. If you're not willing to do that, you're not a superpower. You shouldn't even want to be, don't, don't step up and say, we're the greatest country in the world. We'll help take care of the world. We want the world to improve. If you're not willing to do anything, then just shut up because you're not going to do anything. And they know that China knows that now they just watch this. Just like Somalia and, you know, us pulling our troops out when we got a bloody nose, that inspired Al-Qaeda to launch September 11th. You know what? We could probably attack their homeland and they won't do anything. Now, we surprised them. We actually did come out and go to Afghanistan and hunt them down. But it's it's that it's I just like to take it down to the individual level. If you're not willing to do something, don't raise your voice because a bully will test you. And if you're not willing to punch that bully, you better just stay at the table and let them beat up that little kid. And you don't Aren't get we- to pick and choose your moments to stand up. You either do it all the time or you shut up and you sit down. Yeah, we're in 120 countries with our military right now. That's what I'm saying. Sure, Those countries don't fall down into anarchy and become the next Al-Qaeda hotspot. Well, I, and I, I was talking to my wife about this before the show, and her thing was referencing the global policing is – by, by doing what we've now done and giving that country over to the Taliban, have we not just given them a stronghold where they can hunker down, game plan, nobody's going in and doing anything about it now? Because once you pull those people out, what is the, what's the incentive? What's the military action to try to then go back in and resolve an issue if you, God forbid, had to? And, and not only that, it's, it's, can we, you know, we just play the long game with America, right? You know, right. We'll, we'll wait them out. We'll wait till the next September 11th. It takes those kind of events to make us really get off our butts sometimes when it's hard and Afghanistan's hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to even get in there. It's landlocked country. I mean, the Dave Soviets. knows yeah. <laughs> how hard it is to get in there. The Soviets figured yeah, that out in the seventies I mean, and eighties. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the old adage about Afghanistan is it's like, it's where, what is it? Superpowers go to die or something, something to that effect, because it is, it is completely landlocked and, and it should be noted. Like if, if the United States stays or goes, everybody else will follow. Um, and a lot of it has to do with simple logistics and the, and, and the willingness to put treasure towards a problem. Um, and so, you know, we, we created, we created, created the scenario of making the decision to fall, you know, to pull out and no other country was going to stay. So that was, you know, that's what led to basically everybody in, everybody out kind of thing. But, um, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, I, I agree uh, with a lot of what you're saying there, Jason. And um, I'm kind of wondering, you know, it's a bit of, <laughs> are, 
I, I do wonder what happens next. Um, I feel like Iraq is in a very different place because they were a little more cosmopolitan. They have natural resources. Like they had an innate desire to not be oppressed. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, you know, what is in that ether in Afghanistan now of like, what do the Afghan people want? How is that going to gel with the Taliban who's had 20 years out of power now coming back in going, you know, the people really don't like being oppressed that much. <laughs> they kind of liked hearing music and, and dancing and, you know, other things. I, I just had that conversation this week. Actually, the last four week, four months, I've been working for the United States Institute of Peace with some other diplomats. And we've been talking to different Afghans. And our discussion was in the future, when there is a peace agreement of some sort, whatever, however, the fighters on both sides have to come home and become part of society. Will you forgive them? You know, if you're an Afghan, you know, and your police officer's son was tortured by the Taliban, will you forgive the Taliban? Vice versa, will the Taliban be able to ever forgive the Afghans who were hunting them? And I, I was blown away, you know, speaking of ether, of the, the ability of Afghans to forgive. And I've seen it many times when we screwed up and they forgave us. Um, many, many people said, look, you know, all those warlords that we, we didn't know what to do with after the Civil War, you know, eventually they did put on suits and join the government in some way, shape or form. They gave up what they were doing, became a minister of this or a governor of that or, you know, joined to run the police force. The minister of defense right now is a former warlord. You know, he was he had his suit on in three different jobs. So they said, you know what? The Taliban might moderate. We're Afghan. This is Afghanistan. Weird things happen. Like they may, just like the, the warlords did, eventually go, well, as Dave said, you know, people really hate us. <laughs> if we don't change a little bit, they might come slit our throats in the palace because Afghans have been known to go slit people's throats in the palace. So uh, I don't know if anybody knows. But I've always said only Afghans will know how this ends um, eventually. And so I think that's where we're in that zone right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm, my WhatsApp's just blowing up with people going, you know, I'm here or I got out or I'm been or I'm, I'm trying to set up an insurgency group. I mean, there could be a full resistance force that comes back in next week from Tajikistan and Uzbekistan, who's just going around killing groups of 200 Taliban that are trying to secure a city because the Taliban are spread real thin and nobody likes them. So who knows? This is this choose your own adventure book here. But I know you mentioned we really won't know the effects of this to, you know, 40, 50, 60 years down the road when we can look back and say, OK, how did things fall out? Yeah. But you made a point early on, and it's a point I want to circle back to, is Pakistan. And if they're controlling, if they're the puppet master, and nobody's dealing with them in 50 years, does anything change? Yeah, I think unless the world takes a stand on Pakistan, things won't change much in Afghanistan. But Afghans, I mean, I've, I've been listening to some interesting chatter. There are some Afghans who are now ready to go in and start killing these the intelligence agents in Pakistan that have been running this. You know, we could see an insurgency in Pakistan that looks a lot like the one they just did to Afghanistan. And all of a sudden, the Pakistani military is trying to figure out how to hold on to their country because there's these crazy insurgent groups that are trying to break away two of the four provinces. Two provinces of Pakistan don't want to be part of that. You know, if they were a state, if they're a United States of four places, there's two of them that don't want to be part of Pakistan. Um, I think the Afghans could spend a little bit of money and break those two away and Afghanistan gets bigger and Pakistan ceases to exist. It's crazy time. We have no idea what's about mm -hmm. to happen. 
Yeah, I, it, and, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that known as like the federated, federally administered? It's yeah, so, the, the FATA. The FATA, yeah. FATA, yeah. I think it's uh, Kyburn Puktwana or something nowadays. But it's basically all the Pashtuns, which are one of the big tribes of Afghanistan, are Pashtuns. There are more Pashtuns living in Pakistan than there are in Afghanistan. So that whole group of Pashtuns actually just wants to be Afghan and leave Pakistan. So that's also part of Pakistan's calculus. How do I keep this humongous group of people that live next to Afghanistan from just leaving my country and setting up a border between me and the capital? That's why Pakistan's really paranoid right now, and they should be. Baluchistan is the largest province of Afghanistan. It has the big ocean side on the bottom. They don't want to be part of Pakistan. They hate Pakistan. So they want to break away. So you can see some really curious things coming if Afghanistan wants to get a little revenge. It's South Asia. Things happen. <laughs> Does the United States stay involved in the region? I don't think so. No? Okay. I, 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 when I saw the ambassador got on a plane today and took the flag with him, I have a funny feeling this was us washing our hands and hoping Pakistan doesn't lose their nukes. But I think this is us trying to stop dealing with South Asia and Central Asia as much as we have been. And, and so that kind of brings my the, the question I wanted to ask. It's kind of a scary question to ask, but what do you think it would take for the United States to get involved in dealing with Pakistan? You know, uh, would I, it be another September 11th or something that yeah. dramatic it would have to be? I think so. Unless, uh, you know, unless Congress gets busy and, and starts exposing what Pakistan's been doing and, and pushes us, I don't think we'll do much to Pakistan unless there's another September 11th type attack somewhere against right. us or our allies of that level. And it emanates from that area because now Pakistan owns Afghanistan. They're now responsible <laughs> for any trouble that happens there. They wanted it. Now they got it. So Pakistan's <clears throat> well, get more than they wanted. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's funny. We were yeah. using that quote with Colin Powell about Iraq when he said, if you break it, you buy it. Yep. The phrase applies to... You know, <laughs> they just bought it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you create this monster, then uh, yeah. Uh, and it's certainly, like you said, I mean, there's, a, you know, the best laid plans, right? You know, or what is it? <laughs> Man plans, God laughs, you know, like... I, and the other ironic statement that came to mind during all this is, there may be a silver lining despite our best efforts. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's where Vietnam was, you know? Yeah. I mean, all these intentions of Vietnam, and in the end, it was just the French and the Americans living there for 20, 30 years that put this virus in the culture that actually shifted the whole damn country eventually. Mm -hmm. Who knows? So we just need to start having people move over there and just live naturally and... I think that's what be, I just heard. That's you can the be the first. You can be the first one, sir. They just need um, Afghanistan's okay. greatest American Idol program <laughs> type show in there. And, you American know, Idol. Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Afghanistan's got talent. You know, I mean, that's, that's well, and, and we've talked about, you know, pain thresholds of people uh, or culture or society. Um, I think it's also there's something to be said in the midst of all this of the human spirit. Like we don't innately want to be oppressed or to go without things that make us happy. And, and, and that, you know, that genie's out of the bottle in, in many respects. And, and again, I think the Taliban has to be cognizant of that, you know, just what they've seen and what they know that people will want. And Absolutely. you know, there's a modern take on Sharia law or something 
you know, like that. I mean, it's 20 years later. Information is shared so freely. I mean, groups of people, cultures now have shifted and can now communicate their oppression or the fact their glee of the fact that they get to dress the way they want to dress or dance the way they want to dance or whatever. I mean, this isn't this isn't our our grandfather's 20 years ago, right? I guess is, there's probably a better way to say that, but there's been cultural shifts in the last 20 years. I think that allow for this to end very differently than maybe we even thought going into it 20 years ago. But do those, do those people in Afghanistan have the access to that information? I mean, in North Korea, they don't. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. (laughs) So now that can, that's just a level of control. Jason, I don't remember. Question is, will the people then stand up and say, okay, you know what? Fuck that. We've, we've had America's got talent and we want to keep it. And, and will they rise up and stand Af- against the Taliban? Afghanistan's got talent. Yeah. Afghanistan's yeah. got talent. Still AGT. Yeah. <laughs> Still AGT, fair enough. Uh, I, I, I saw that this morning, absolutely. I, I, one of my uh, friends was a professor over there, a young woman. She, you know, she tweeted publicly, openly. and she's, she's in Kabul. She's like, we've had it, and we will get it back. And that's what it's going to take, I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's so- a woman who might be the first insurgent leader, you know? <laughs> Coming. But you said... Uh, I don't remember exactly, but I think you said, you know, hundreds of thousands, maybe uh, women just got locked in their homes. Like what oppression occurs now that this, this incident has happened and we're pulling out, like what, what kind of oppression is going to occur? Is there going to be genocide? Is there going to be brutal oppression in that country until something does happen until there is a rise up? Yeah. What we've seen so far, um, basically they had some kill lists. They were looking for journalists. They wanted to silence them. They're looking for anybody who been an interpreter for us, which is why we were, everybody's pushing so hard to get interpreters out. Um, outspoken women, you know, I, I helped many uh, outspoken women get their visas in the last few days and get to a safe country. You know, they had a list of people they had to silence uh, and they were going, and they've got away with that. I mean, they've, they've literally been wandering around for the last couple of weeks, going city to city, pulling people out of their houses and murdering them. So the atrocities are already happening. I just don't think they're going to go to a great scale because they don't want an intervention. You know, the UN could actually get off its butt and send a peacekeeping force in there and say, no, if you're going to just murder everybody, genocide, you know, we're, we're going to retake the city. There's not many of you. We know this. And then sanction Pakistan finally and do something about it. But uh, I think it's going to be low threshold, but it might be enough to make the Afghans want to throw them off and hunt them down. I mean, they, they don't have secure control of the country. This is dudes flying around in pickup trucks. This isn't an, an organized army that's, you know, running this in a very organized manner. Uh, you know, if you, Thor, I'll just go throw in a question. Um, you know, it makes me think of, uh, you know, I, I heard this refrain in, in Iraq a couple of times of like, things were, were better under Saddam. And, and what they mean was their life was simpler. Now, whether it was like, good or not is a separate discussion. Um, you know, it, it's... <laughs> It's easier, and this is relative, being the insurgent seeking power. But once you're in power, now you have to lead. Now you have to lead and deliver. Yep. And I can't, I can't imagine they're going to be able to lead using the same fear tactics that existed prior, which is how they maintain power. That's what I. That's what I wonder if it'll erode away. And now the Taliban actually is going to have to start delivering on. Oh, I don't know, electricity, water, infrastructure. The things they've been destroying for <laughs> yes. 20 years. They literally put out a memo yesterday, like, do not destroy any more bridges, any more water, any more power. To, like, we're going to need that stuff. We think we're going to win. So stop destroying everything we've been destroying for 19 years. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And I have to wonder if that doesn't happen. And like you said, six months, a year, people are like, Hmm, you know, don't have my freedoms. I'm being oppressed. I'm hungry. We have no economy. You know, nobody will trade with us. (laughs) So yeah, which I'm sorry. So I know I'm delaying your question, but in terms of economy, I mean, other than poppies, lapis, you know, figs, that kind of thing. I mean, what are they going to be able to rely on? Yeah, they've got the uh, precious stones industry is really deep. Um, copper, there's a little bit of oil and gas. There's a lot of people who have been wanting to go invest and get it out of the ground in Afghanistan for a decade now, but didn't want to take the risk. Um, so I don't think anybody's going to look at the Taliban government and go, that looks more stable. Yeah. I'll take the risk now and invest in, in setting up that copper mine. So they're going to be hurting on money. And that's that's what the the international community, the diplomats, the UN, NATO, European Union, that's what they think has been their leverage all along. But the Taliban will come in, they'll have to moderate because they're going to need our money. Now, they might be able to just creep along with their opium sales. That's in the billions already. And China might give them money because they don't want the UN to have leverage there. We don't know yet, but they're going to need money somehow. So either they play nice and work with the international community or they rob steel and pillage and life gets really crappy. Damn. Uh, in case you missed it, I just, I just want to say why, while most of us were spending our weekends just relaxing and enjoying ourselves, Jason was helping outspoken women get visas to get the fuck out of a war-torn country to save their lives. So how's that for a, right? I mean, how's that for a reality check in terms of what you're doing? Do we run the risk though, of everything that you're saying, do we run the risk Grinch you're talking about? Oh, well, people will eventually get tired of not having their freedoms or not having this and that. Do we run the risk of Pakistan stepping in? And exerting control over the situation. Like if the Taliban starts to, if insurgents rise up, Pakistan going, oh, well, we'll just put military on the ground. That, that would be an interesting one. Uh, Afghans by nature hate Pakistanis. Um, so that would be an interesting conundrum if Pakistan said, well, we'll send some troops over the border because we're being invited by the government to help, you know, secure Kandahar or, you know, secure this city. Or, and then all of a sudden you've got Pakistani troops on the ground. They have American, you know, Pakistan's got talent too. Their country's not going to be too excited about a military deployment outside of their borders. Um, And so you could see a really nasty coup happening in Pakistan, which, by the way, is, I think, never had a real election. Pakistan's (laughs) always been one coup after another. Military takes over. Civilian takes over. Military takes over. People get assassinated. It's fascinating to look at how each Pakistani administration ends. It's not good. So I think this is their first elected guy who may be able to pass it on to someone else. But but is it a is it a solid system of control? Like if it is somebody getting elected, is it somebody that can stay in power? Yeah, the military runs the country. So they they put their person in power if it's not them. I mean, literally, if it's not the general taking over, then they put in their elected civilian that they want and they protect them until they don't want them. So ultimately what we've discerned from this entire conversation is regardless of what's happened today, we'll never know the effects of this until years down the road to see how all of this plays out. Does the fact that the Soviets were in there in 79 spent almost 10 years in that country fighting a war, like, and then where the country ended up 30 years, 40 years later, whatever, does that not paint us a picture? I mean, I guess, cause Grinch, you made the, the analysis to Vietnam. The French were in Vietnam before us. 
accomplished nothing. Did we learn? No. We went into Vietnam, thought, well, we'll, we'll do it better. And we clearly didn't. And then the Russians were in Afghanistan, couldn't get it done. Now we're in there. So again, I guess ultimately what are we, we're not learning either from our predecessors or previous situations. So that's a ridiculous learning curve. I mean, I, I you know, given this some thought, uh, I, two trains of thought on this topic. One is, you know, war, war was clearer going back to World War II, maybe Korea, in terms of what the objective was, what you were there to do, and then knowing what the end looked like. <clears throat> we went into Afghanistan because of 9-11, largely accomplished what we set out to do, and then that kind of kicked off um, the term that started circulating under you know, George Bush uh, and then continued on, which was the nation building. Um, I think the problem with Americans is we don't think strategically and long. We think year to year or administration to administration. And so those are what drive our decisions, not a strategic vision that's in the best interest of America. It's based on whatever politics are on the ground. And, and, and that's, I, don't, I, I assume that is not lost on anybody a China, a Russia, et cetera, as they look at America. Because we may think we know what we want to do to begin with, but then we lose sight of it. And then I think the other train of, train of thought on that is similar, which is um, it begs the question of going forward. Like, I, I'm, I'm leery of the statement, study history, lest be, you be doomed to repeat it, but it's not that there aren't lessons there. And where I'm, what I'm, where I'm going with that is, the Afghanistan of today is not even the Afghanistan that we started with, which is not the Afghanistan under the Soviets. And I, I don't think we know. I think the rapidity and the potential of change is accelerated now with access to information. I mean, you can set up your own satellite dish now in the middle of nowhere and get the internet. So you can turn off certain capabilities, phone networks, you can manage the news. But if people want information, they, they're going to find a way to do it to get access to it. And I think now that that pipeline is there, they've had the exposure to things. Like I said, you can't, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Now that's the new norm that they've got to move forward with. And I don't even know if the Taliban knows what they want it to look like. <laughs> I, I think that, that raises a, a, a really good point that a lot of Afghans have been making me over the last couple of months. Whenever they, they have these little ceasefires every once in a while, maybe two or three days, maybe a week where they weren't fighting, and at first, the first couple of ceasefires, the Taliban fighters, the young kids, right, 19-year-old kids, were allowed to go in the villages and see their grandparents and their aunts and their uncles and their family and hang out with other young kids. And most of them didn't go back to fight. So begs the question, <laughs> now the Taliban saying, we're in charge of the country. Look at all our fighters. We're in charge. And all these kids are like going, hey, that's a girl over there. I ain't seen one of those in 20 years. You think I could date her? Well, right. she said I got to get a shower, shave my beard a little bit, get cleaned up, quit acting like a thug. Oh, shit, I better do some of that if I'm going to get married. Like, they, even the Taliban doesn't understand what they just let their 19-year-old fighters get in the middle of, which is the modern world. Half these kids are probably going to be like, yeah, I'm not showing up for the formation next, boss. I, I done found the girl I want to I'm date. going to get laid. Hey, <laughs> I, I just these kids showed me like what it's like to own a car and i want to i want my own now instead of riding in the pickup pickup truck with these other smelly dudes like yeah we, we've um, basically americanized them right, right. you know which the is maybe a good thing. Be <laughs> they, 
I, I, and that's another thing that is not lost, I think, on the rest of the world is our, our, our culture is powerful. It's rough. It's cowboyish. It, it's 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 got all kinds of problems, but it's contagious. Yep. And, I, and, and, you know, and I'll use North Korea, like North Korea knows they oh, yeah. absolutely know any inkling of that gets over and it's, it's all over game over. Two seconds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then I figured out the problem. This is what we do. We put a bunch of aircraft in the air and we just drop, like, instead of leaflets, we just drop Taylor Swift CDs. Once they hear that shit, there you go. Fucking problem oh, solved. You got to ease them into it. David, David Hasselhoff first. <laughs> the Hoff. Yes. Yeah. Probably should start with, start, start with a male singer, huh? That's yeah. it. Um, you know, obviously, Jason, before we wind down to the end here, I want to ask you two questions. So I'll ask the first one. We're, we're pulling out of Afghanistan. The last of the allies, the interpreters, obviously the president's been removed from the country. What is at this moment, what is the worst case scenario moving forward for Afghanistan, our approach to Afghanistan, that region and in, in, in general? What's the worst case scenario that happens moving forward? Uh, worst case scenario is, is a mass killing, you know, that that the Taliban decide to just take revenge and not just in prison, but just start killing everybody that might be a problem in, in a bid to really try to put their arms around all of the culture that may corrupt them and, and anybody who might fight against them. It would be a, just a mass, you know, retribution killing. Um, I think that's worst case scenario. And uh, does that force our hand to step back into the situation? I do not think this president would do anything. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, and again, I, I mean, I guess, do can, can you, you know, as soon as you step out, well, yeah, what does it take to have to step back in and say, oops, my bad, we were wrong? You know, I, I, I don't know. That, that's a it tough call to make. Yeah, it wouldn't take many people. It would just take our leadership. But I, I truly think we just washed our hands of it. He, yeah. President Biden, I saw him there as a senator, as a vice president. He did not like Afghans or get along with any Afghans. He was the ugly American, would literally walk out of meetings, storm out of dinners, you know, cuss and scream and, and just walk out of rooms if he was upset with them. I had no doubts what he would do with the power of the presidency. Wow, that's kind of crazy because you, you just – I mean, you know, cl Clearly, I don't know the guy, right? I don't play cards with him, but that's not the impression no, you get at least. don't? It's weird. I would have no, we play Uno, yeah. which oh, I guess no. is still a card game, but, you know. Draw four, bitch. Um, <laughs> we're, we're Americans. We play checkers. Yes. That's interesting. Was it the right thing to do? I mean, four administrations, we get to his, nobody has managed the situation correctly. And I know you said early on, Pakistan was the problem. We were always focused on the wrong person. So was Biden's approach the right approach? I know, I, I believe your answer would be no. I, I don't, I wouldn't even say right or wrong. I, I just think it, it, he didn't want to even look at the approaches. He had us do, all, I was part of these study groups and come up with different ways that we could do it. And everybody no matter what anybody said, he just said, yeah, nah, I don't think so. I, don't. I mean, he had already made his mind up when he came in. He was leaving and he had said that, which I, I believed him. I was, that's why I told the Afghans, like, oh, we're leaving. Lock, stock and barrel. Get ready. Like, we are abandoning you. Sorry. Book your, book your flights now. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it was right or wrong. It was just his decision. Right or wrong will come 50 years from now. Um, I, I personally think it was a pretty cowardly way to do it. You, you could have done it another way. We could have exerted pressure on Pakistan and actually stood up and said, all right, for once, we're going to take on the bully. And I'm Biden and I like to take on bullies. I think he could have got away with that. I think his gravitas and his reputation, he could have 
gotten away with it. And Pakistan would have went, shit, all right, you're calling us on it. We'll stand down. We'll actually let negotiations happen as they should and uh, take our fingers off the scales. And, and maybe we could add a different, he just didn't want to try anything. He just said, I'm done. I'm done. Sitting at so the right table. Wrong comes, but the historians get to grade that one. Right. Well, and again, because you made the point, look at Vietnam. I mean, we spent 10 years know. there and then, to, you know, obviously we could not fight a war against Ho Chi Minh and Northern Vietnam. But like you said, 60 years later, look at where the culture's at in the country. It changed over time, the Western influence. Yeah. Maybe him pulling out, and I'm sure people probably derided Nixon <clears> at the time going, that's a mistake. You don't pull out, you know, give, we're giving up the fight. And, and then here we are 60 years later and they're trending in the right direction. So maybe him pulling out is the best thing. I, I don't know. Can, can we can we say pulling out anymore in this episode? Because you know, I'm out. just I'm, I'm getting, not putting in getting moist up. in some intimate areas here, buddy. Um, so that's going to lead me to my next question, Jason. Leaving the back door open. <laughs> he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. All about that oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, have Lord, you been listening to our show? <laughs> Um, so that's I mean, going to lead me to my Grinch, next question. You had one job was to tell them that we don't <laughs> talk right. about anal play and butt plugs when Jason's on the show. I knew you wouldn't listen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's best case scenario then? If, if that's worst case, what's best case scenario now that we're pulling out of the country? Uh, best case scenario, the Taliban comes in. They do have some kind of shared government. Uh, they allow some of, they don't want an insurgency. Just like, you know, they could, this is Afghanistan. I mean, stuff happens there. You couldn't even imagine could happen. So they could all sit down in a room and agree to some kind of power sharing agreement. Uh, a former president and a former foreign minister and, you know, vice president are negotiating this. They could agree to some power sharing deal where they do respect human rights and they do respect women's rights and things change a little bit, but they do start to moderate. And in five years, they lose all their fighters and there is no more Taliban militia because they all wanted to go to college and get laid and get a job and have a life and have kids. And it could start going in the right direction. We have no idea. And, but and it I, could cost a lot of civilian lives in the meantime. And that's the that's the risk. Right. I, and I don't uh, I'm trying to remember Taliban are Sunni or are they Shia? Sunni. They Sunni. kill Shia for breakfast. Right. Yeah, they're really <laughs> anti-Shia, ruthless. They've done a lot of genocides on the Shia in their country. And what I'm wondering is, and I don't know the who's connected to who in this regard. I mean, we have seen some moderation in the Middle East, like, like Saudi Arabia, for example, allowing women yep. to drive, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, do you think there's any, um, I hate to use the term bleed over, but, you know, I'm not meaning it in the, the, you know, fighting sense. Do you think there's any of that influence that may spill over in the it broader could. Sunni spectrum? It could. They're just connected to the worst <laughs> Sunnis in the yeah, world. Yeah. They're, they're connected with the most radical ones. Even their connections to Saudi Arabia, to the radical Saudis. So, you know, they Qatar's their best buddy, Pakistan, their best buddy. I and mean, it's it, unfortunately, it's they're connected to the wrong uh, folks to moderate them. But if those countries wanted to do something, which they've refused to do, I, I told the Trump administration that you've got to involve the Muslim countries to moderate these other folks. We can't do it. We're not even Muslim. We're not going to listen to us. Um, those countries are pretty lazy about helping moderate the other countries. So it could be something now. I, I think there's just a moderation in general. More and more kids are leaving religion uh, in every religion. So I think there's a 
there is either a moderate or lose your, your flock thing going on in religions. So that will, that will be at play as well. Uh, I did want to ask Grinch mentioned this before you came on. It's our understanding. You have written a number of books about Afghanistan. One, two, I'm not exactly sure. Well, not specifically Afghanistan. One was about oh, okay. the ship I... and one was the Quran. Yes, that's the one. You, apparently you, you did something with the Quran where you translated it, reordered it. Is that... Yeah, I interpreted interpreted into modern English and reordered it chronologically. It's a twenty three year story, so you could read it at like the Bible is pretty chronological. I, I just wanted to put it in that sequence to help you understand it. And I wanted to ask about that one specifically. Did that irritate anybody that followed the Quran uh, religiously? No pun intended. Like so, uh, diehard uh, followers of the Quran, like reordering it in that way, altering it in that way. I know you didn't you didn't change it. You just reordered it. Did that irritate people? Like, was there any blowback from that? Yeah, there, there's zero, 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 one point percent of Muslims in the world that would care about that. I'm the hundredth person to put it into English. Literally, oh, okay. I talked to a Duke scholar who lives up the road from me. He's like, "Yeah, you're probably about the hundredth guy." He wrote the book on all the English translations. I am the first soldier, so I get a, a you know a bookmark in history there. But um, <laughs> and putting it in, in uh, that order, that order is known to all Muslim scholars. You know, we know this order, so. Uh, reordering it has happened in other editions before as well. So actually, I mean, I've got calls from all over the world from Muslim scholars at Quranic Institutes uh, who were studying my book and talking about it and comparing it to other ones and doing their PhD these dissertations on it and doing thesis on it. I got a call from Iran <laughs> literally two months ago <laughs> to speak at an Iranian Quranic scholarly uh, institution and talk about why I did it and how I did it. And they're setting up a, a, a time for me to speak at this uh, Islamic college in Iran. I will, I mean, Damn. America's, you know, the great Satan, but Jason, that's actually really cool. He did. So we'd love mm. to have you come speak to us. And we were communicating in English because our culture is there too. So there you go. Uh, no, nobody really, a few haters, but if you okay. write anything, you get haters. And, and what was the other book that you wrote? Uh, I did uh, recently just did a book on my 30 years of leadership lessons from being in the army and being around uh, policymaking. And so I, it's called, uh, Leaders always go a little further, and it's just a, it's a bunch of little chapters and stories and vignettes about leadership lessons uh, that run the gamut. And uh, so that, that was kind of my opus of putting all my lessons together for young people to kind of graduation gift type book. So now when you step into a presidential room, you know, a room with the president and his cabinet and you guys are talking about game plans for a country, do you just hand that book across the table and go, look, just just read that? Get your shit together. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I just said, I just tweet him the link. I'm like, yo, I know you're following me. So here's the link to my book, Prez. You should, you should read this. In chapter Learn. three, you need a lot of that. Let's educate yourself. <laughs> you always find a way to go, as I wrote in my book. That'd <laughs> be nice to be able to say it that way, right? You know, I wrote in my book. Uh, you should check it out. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely been insightful. I do appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, there is a shit ton, obviously, to unpack, but the history of what you've done, both of you, uh, you know, Jason Grinch, but you know, both of you serving in the military, being in the 82nd Airborne, being in uh, Afghanistan at the start of this, watching on a different level than obviously what the rest of us probably have. I think it's interesting, Grinch, when you and I talked about it, you're like, we were in Afghanistan and then Iraq kicked off and basically the world forgot that Afghanistan existed because a a Iraq became the focus, yep. you know, and now you're looking at it almost yep. 20 years later and people are going, it, we're still in Afghanistan. 
And, and if I remember right, Jason, weren't we both there at the time when that happened? I was there. Yeah, yeah I was you, you were up in, yeah, yeah. TV going, hey, we're invading Iraq. Because you yeah. were in Bagram at the time? I was in Kabul at the in embassy. In Kabul, okay. Yep, two yeah, hours I, down faster watching TV. Yeah, there's, there's nothing well, quite like sitting in Afghanistan, watching the invasion of Iraq, and then going, how long are we staying? <laughs> A little longer, you say. No. <laughs> I don't think we're getting reinforcements, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. It's on us. <laughs> yeah. Well, Grinch, that's the point you made. Like, there are just a finite amount of resources. Uh, and then when you when Iraq comes online, those resources have to come from somewhere, either whatever you're taking from the states or what's already in country there. And so obviously that changes the dynamic of the region. Yeah. How you I, deal with things. I, I mean, I will say this is another topic I've given a lot of thought to is when you're not resource constrained, you tend to have the luxury of poor strategy that you somehow still muddle along. And in the case of the United States, I mean, we, as, as we talked about, I think yesterday, I mean, a trillion dollars, right? I mean, to think of like, I think the, our infrastructure bill, was it like 3 trillion or is it one trillion, whatever it was, 3 trillion. I mean, that's a third of our entire nation's infrastructure bill that's, that, you know, is going forward. And not to mention the countless lives that have been affected, both on, you know, the Afghan side and everybody associated with it, all the nations that have been there. I mean, there's a tremendous human toll that we'll never know all their stories, but it, it just kind of settles into history, you know, and, and uh, you know, like we said, we started with one small mission, if you will. Took us a little longer to get in there because it's a fucking hard country. 20 years later, here we are. And I, I mean, I've, I've told people this story, but, you know, and, and Jason certainly knows this, but my daughter was born when I was there the first time and I took her to college yesterday. <laughs> you know, like that puts it in a really weird perspective for me right. when I think about it. That's an arc for you. I, yeah. You know, I, I do want to mention one thing that's, that's coming out and, and maybe you can have this guy on and talk about it. But- a uh, buddy of mine, Tim Torres, nicknamed Tito, grew up in Ranger Regiment. Spent his whole life uh, in uh, in a, growing up in Afghanistan. You know, that I, I think he had fourteen tours or something ridiculous like that. Wow. Um, he's uh, he's right now he's a Pat Tillman Scholar at Georgetown, working on his master's degree. And uh, he reached out to me. He and I worked on some of the same projects over the years. He said, "Jason, I want to start a website, a blog, an online magazine where." Afghans and Americans can write about their stories together, their bonds they built or going to each other's country, what they learned from each other, regardless of how this ends, a place where, and I mean, it's, it's writing therapy. I was started my blog this morning that I'm going to post on there. And he, he asked me to come on and be the senior editor and put an editing team together. And so I, an Afghan and American editing team to just get those stories and capture them. Because I think those stories are probably what's more important we won't know if this is right or wrong or how this sends for 50 years, but the experiences people had, I think it's good for them to share those with people. So I'm, I'm going to be pretty proud to be working on that for the next decade, at least to get those stories captured and to share them because there was a lot of love and compassion and empathy and comradeship, you know, just built over the years. And I think it's worth capturing that. Would you yeah, like I, to plug, would you like to plug your blog? I don't, I don't know if it's up and running yet. I know you uh, yeah, I think it's gone online. It's going to be called okay. A Voice for Two Nations. Okay. Yeah, so we'll we'll throw it out there when it comes out. I'll let Dave know about it. Yeah, it's definitely, because I'll definitely plug it. Those stories and, uh, and share them with the world. Let people learn more. It's amazing. Uh, our press didn't really cover it much. <laughs> like, 
They've yeah. said, you know, everybody woke up and they go, oh, we're leaving Afghanistan? I didn't know we were there. <laughs> yeah, we were there. Yeah, well, you the know, Obama so- administration told we were done. We were done fighting, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. how, did you, how did you think Pakistan wasn't an issue? Wasn't the red flag the fact that they were housing bin Laden? I mean, shouldn't that have been a red flag? Yeah. I love his little, for those yeah. of you that can't see it, the look on his face was fucking priceless. <laughs> yeah. That yeah, you should have living been a in Abbottabad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, uh, Jason, you mentioned that one vignette. It just so happens I listened to a little bit of a Joe Rogan podcast the other day uh, with Evan Hafer, who's uh, one of the president or owner of Black Rifle Coffee. And he told the story of one of his interpreters and how they uh, he thought he had been killed in 2016. And he got contacted by him in like 2018. He was in Baltimore had managed to get out of the country because th- he was running for his life. Yep. Reached out via Facebook. Evan told him, get up, get your family on a plane. You're flying out here to Salt Lake city, flew him to Salt Lake city, found him a house, started working on getting him naturalized, you know, in, through the immigration process. And now he's an employee at black rifle coffee along with a handful of other interpreters. It, yeah. Those are the it, kind of stories that, it, that, that, that warm, you know, that's the old chicken soup for the soul kind of thing. I, I one last vignette on that and i'm i just hit publish well i'm about to publish it i, I started a publishing company to help veterans and afghans write books because i know how to write books and publish books so i just made one so one of the guys who approached me is a former interpreter who got out of afghanistan on a, a special immigrant visa and is now a pre-med student in oregon and i met him because he was the interpreter for not just one of my old infantry soldiers but two of them back to back in the same Kunar province in this horrible, tough place of Afghanistan. This guy served like four or five years in the worst spot in the world. And he was working for my old infantry privates when I was a sergeant. And they came to me and they were like, this guy's got a story. And so I said, we're right. Write a book, man. We're going to publish it. So I I just sent him the final draft today. I want to, you know, put that out there. It's called, you know, get the turp up here. Just a story of being (laughs) infantry interpreter and what it's like to, you know, he, and he came over and lived with one of my former soldiers at his house, like his son and went to college, you know, went to high school, finished up school. He was young. And uh, I think he snuck in when he was only 16, started interpreting. Yeah. I mean, crazy stories. Jason, I I do appreciate you coming on the show. Forgive me for those that that are listening. How do you say your last name? (laughs) It's how with a K how nothing rhymes with it. Uh, Jason Hauk is our guest today. I I hope everybody has enjoyed listening. I mean, there is a ton there, obviously his attachment to this situation and how close he has been over the last 20 years is absolutely amazing. This was super informative. Go look for his books out there. He re I won't say he rewrote the Quran. He translated the Quran. Yeah. uh, Let's not say that. That's yeah. yeah. He rewrote it. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. How's that? Where did, where did he go? Where, where did he go? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he translated it. Uh, now, did you say you were the first soldier to translate it? Yeah. Yeah. That okay. was interesting side note. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. First soldier to translate the Quran and then reordered it into chronological order. And, and then his little anecdotes about what presidents should be doing when they're in war torn countries. No, that's not what the book was, but, um, and then obviously a publishing company you're working on and a blog voice of two nations. When that comes online, absolutely let us know. You know, we would love to plug it. But uh, one of the things I do want to throw out there before we close the show is if anybody is listening and you have questions about this topic, if you're sitting there going, fuck, I didn't know we were in Afghanistan, what the hell's going on or what has happened? Like, uh, Jason, would you be willing if we do get questions and we send them to you? Just I would love 
you know, just to have answers so that we can give that information to our listeners, you know, in terms of things that they might be wondering, because I, I yeah, know absolutely. Our, okay. uh, they'll miss it because this will come out. I'll be on CNN tomorrow at 10 a.m. talking about this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always answering questions. There you go. CNN tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Give it a listen wherever you get your CNN. Um, questions won't be as good as ours, though. Hell no. <laughs> Guarantee you they won't be talking drinking. about butt plugs. <laughs> you never know. <clears throat> Really, thank you for your time though. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and everything Very that good. you've done again, like you, for some reason, the slap in the face of you saying, I'm currently helping people get visas to get them out of the country. Like I'm thinking about how I spend my days and then hearing that it's like, fuck, what am I doing with my time? Well, and just the reality. Of, I wonder that all the time, deal. what you're doing. You've seen the videos, time. you know, what oh, I, I have seen the videos. Yeah. <laughs> he knows what you're doing. You're all playing zombies together. That's right. Yeah, no, he don't wonder. Winning. <laughs> um, no, th- th- obviously this is a powerful topic. We do make jokes and we, we don't, we don't make light of the topic, but we find a way to poke fun at each other and have a good time. But that, that doesn't make the topic any less important or any less impactful, but obviously, you know, give the podcast a listen. If there are questions that you have or information that you would like to know, please reach out to spiriteddebates at gmail.com. Just drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Any questions that you might have, I will absolutely work to forward them on to Jason and, and get some information. Um, it, it has been amazing to hear what you've done, Grinch, what you've done. I know, obviously, we've known you. We've heard the stories. You know, we've talked over the last 20 years. But, you know, Jason, getting your insight into who you've known and what you've done and what your perspective is has, has been amazing. And I do appreciate you coming on here. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to oh, wrap up. I thought, yeah. Oh, no, no. no I thought that was with the applause. Sorry. Well, for him, not you. <laughs> you don't hear my butt cheeks clapping for you? His, his, his cheeks. It's like the, the slow clap and what is it? Not another teen movie where the guy keeps trying to start yes. it. It's a slow clap, yeah. And then um, the other guy no, cuts him off. Nobody. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, based, based on what we're talking about, uh, you know, if you listen to the show, this will be dropped this week. So absolutely give this a listen. Uh, when it comes out, it'll be out around Wednesday. So if you listen to the show, check it out. It, you know, if we do get any questions and, and we feel those questions in terms of getting answers, I will release some information on our YouTube channel, A Spirit of Debate. Check that out. We just dropped that. There are a couple of videos on there if you'd like to have a good laugh. But um, yes. So as we wrap it up, Jason, thank you. I appreciate you being here. Love to have you back if you're willing to come back on and share a drink with us. Maybe in 50 years when we see where Afghanistan has ended up, we can get back together and talk. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be like holograms or something. That's right. That. I was going to say. <laughs> um, yeah. So, gentlemen, thank you. And then, uh, obviously, you know, th- this has been great. And uh, I can, obviously, we'll, we'll close out the show. But uh, there is something, Jason, I wanted to just mention and based on something you said. But, you know, we'll leave it there. And uh, I will absolutely talk to you guys next week. So, thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Appreciate it. Please join us week in and week out. Obviously, you can catch our episodes anywhere where you get your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio. I don't care. It doesn't matter. As long as you're listening, that's all we care about. And again, feel free to interject. Feel free to be a part of the show. Go to our website at aspirateddebate.com. Check out our email at spiriteddebates at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Hit us with a drink. Hit us with a topic. Let us know. We'll reach out to you, see if we can get you on the show. And as always, gentlemen, we close out the show. Salud, bro. Cheers.